1: And now a reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Siloam bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Well, good morning and Happy Easter. My name is Michael Rodzina. I'm one of the pastors here at Good Shepherd New York. And before we reflect on our gospel text, I'd like to invite you into a moment of quiet to open your heart on this Easter Sunday to the possibility that you'd not just be a casual bystander to the story, but a participant. That we would be deepened and widened by what we consider here today. So as best as you know how, with whatever you bring into this moment, all of your faith, all of your doubt. Just bring your authentic self to this silence. Would you join me in this prayer? God of love, stir us to see our lives different through this moment, and draw out of us love and trust, we pray. Amen. Well, what most people do when they think about Easter is ignore the gospel according to Mark. And who can blame us i mean this is a story that ends with fear and silence right quote they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid end of story (laughs) this response seems more fitting for good friday not easter sunday right this is a story that ends with very few answers and many many questions at first reading and especially compared to the other gospel stories mark appears to end with a tragic lack of resolution. His ending feels like a giant stone rolled in front of a tomb, and we ask with the women here, who will roll away the stone for us? See, we ignore the gospel according to Mark, and we have our reasons. But when we decide to actually listen to Mark, who is, let us remember, the very first gospel witness by several decades, what we learn is rather amazing. It's not the happy ending that we've become accustomed to as we have stitched together multiple gospel stories. It's not an ending in which every tension is resolved, and that is its power. It isn't deficient, though centuries later, people groomed by imperial instincts of victory and certainty began to tweak the story, adding alternate endings. More on that later. Remember, this was the only one of the four biblical gospel stories circulating through the church for decades. I'm excited this Easter to explore the first gospel story afresh and perhaps we can suspend all of our normal expectations for the story and its ending and we can hear it as Mark tells it. So let's pretend, if we can, that we don't know anything else about the story except what we have here. Then and only then can we allow Mark's story to have the impact that it was intended to have. Now, the first spark that ignites our hope in this story is the startling recognition that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. We're not told how, which is a curious omission, but it's the first sign that perhaps there is life to be found in this story of death. Perhaps there is hope to be found in the story of despair and disappointment. You visit a tomb of a loved one who has died in order to get closure, and yet these women... They defy closure as they enter the tomb. And what do they find? Mark tells of no angels, no certainly no Jesus here. The women encounter, quote, a young man. And this is where the rich symbols, I think, start to multiply. First, the young man is, quote, sitting at the right. right? This is a position that the inner circle of male disciples competed for in chapter 10. It's a position which the psalmist attributed to Messiah, referenced in chapter 12. And it's the position that Jesus attributes to the Son of Man in chapter 14. In the end, it's the position occupied by one of the bandits on Golgotha, the hill of Jesus' crucifixion. To be at the right hand is a symbol of the true power of solidarity. Now next, we're told that the young man is, quote, wrapped in a white robe. Now this calls back a curious moment in Mark's story. After Jesus is betrayed by Judas to the armed crowd sent by the newly minted Jerusalem coalition, we're told, quote, Then everyone deserted him and fled. End quote. But then we have this inclusion of a curious detail quote, A young man wearing nothing but linen cloth was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Jesus is buried, wrapped, in a linen cloth, and the garment of this young man at the tomb is white, just like Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration, and it's the exact same phrase used to describe the attire of the martyrs in Revelation 7. The last symbol is found in the description of the woman as deeply troubled. This is a phrase in Mark used to describe the reaction of a crowd after the transfiguration where he publicly teaches about the way of the cross. It's also found of Jesus himself coming to terms with his own impending execution. All these symbols together lead the women and us as readers to conclude that they're in the presence of some glorified martyr figure. Now, here is where the story's inertia is reversed. The young man tells the woman who seeks him what they have actually found. Jesus of Nazareth is not here, right? Jesus continually reproved the crowds over his lifetime for seeking him, when they really expected something else. Here, the, uh, that continues. They're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, but they're told he's the crucified one. As Ched Meyer says, that is now the new confession of a transformed disciple. They're also told that he's been raised. And this is a term Mark uses throughout the story when people are healed. So the story reverses once again in the instructions the disciples' story appears closed, right? Their community was destructed in two phases. First, the flight of the disciples, then Peter's denial. So now their story is being reconstructed in two phases, right? Quote, go and tell the disciples and tell Peter. The closed loop of the disciples is being reopened here. And this invitation rings with the possibility of a restored community, reconciled with the one that they've been separated from. And it's an invitation that rings with the possibility of a new journey. They're told that Jesus is, quote, going before them. And even the direction of the story reverses here. They are to meet him in Galilee, right where the story began. What a bright opening in the middle of a dark moment in the story. The disciples are invited into the possibility of a restored community and on a journey back home. They're invited into a new beginning. They go back to the beginning where they were first called, where they were first named and taught and sent out on mission. The story that they thought was over was actually beginning again. Only it isn't the way the disciples expected with a triumphal victory of the community, or was it the way the bandits expected? with David's kingdom restored. But it doesn't end with tragic failure or defeat either. Their abandonment and Peter's denial will not be the last word of the story. It will not be the defining moment of their lives. Their Gethsemane and their Golgotha becomes the portal through which they march onward, back to the beginning, but with new eyes. The story is a cycle. The calling and the mission of Jesus will continue through them, The mysterious and beautiful drama of Easter is in the cycle. Life, suffering, death, and rising. One of the thrilling discoveries of Easter is that when one cycle ends, another begins. We live, we suffer, we die, we rise, only to begin again. Only now we carry with us new eyes, new ears, new sensibilities that allow us to come back to the same people and the same places of our lives, only with new intrigue, and energy this isn't a never-ending loop that sort of leaves us bored and exhausted like a hamster on a wheel instead we should imagine a spiral each cycle connected to the other except we have the sense that we're going somewhere you can imagine the sp- cycle spiraling up or down i think both can be helpful but the key is here it's moving it's dynamic you're being deepened at every turn you're being widened at every bend You're being softened through every transition. The mystery of Easter is that we are drawn into a holy evolution. I've been through this cycle many times. I express and I understand faith a certain way. It works until it doesn't work. Some experience or some suffering sends me into a reevaluation, into new questions, and I realize I need to let some things go, maybe some ideas or some habits or some assumptions, some ways of constructing an identity, some ways of thinking about belonging. Letting go often feels perilous. It feels kind of like a death. But then I begin again. I learn to see the same people, the same places, the same Bible, the same church, only with new eyes. And I'm invigorated for another chapter. And I make a good run until something complicates my understanding once again. Some suffering moves me to a new receptivity. And I realize I must let go some more. Each time of letting go does feel like a death and we aren't sure what will replace that which we have gripped so tightly and has served us so well until it didn't anymore. But time after time there is a rising, there is a new beginning. Easter is the time for new beginnings, right? The story stands at the intersection of despair and hope. It's not pure hope They walk away afraid, and they're not telling anyone. But it's not pure despair. They have this good news that Jesus goes before them and will meet them where they began. But the narrative hangs in the balance, and so do our lives. This has been a hard year. We faced, in the words of Evan's poem, our own Gethsemanes and Golgotha's. Our moments of agony, of failure, of facing things about ourselves that are difficult to see, we've experienced a kind of death. Death is, at its core, a separation. And we've literally been separated from each other via social distancing and quarantine and masks. Our separation is enshrined in the image of the mask. The political and cultural separation in this country were made explicit during the racial justice surge in the summer and the presidential election of the fall. Some of us have experienced and witnessed or become aware of psychological and emotional separations, between the true self and the false self, between our core emotions and what we present on the outside, between our ideals and our actual behaviors. And many of us ex- have experienced literal death, the separation from those whom we love. We've borne so much death this year. And how do we respond? You know, Mark's Easter doesn't gloss over our bewilderment at the sufferings and deaths of our lives. It doesn't paper over our pain. It doesn't pressure us to fast forward through the fear. It ends in a way that says, I see you. These sufferings and these deaths indeed are tragic. But the voice of the story remains invitational. It whispers that there's more to this story if we'll choose to make the journey to begin again. It whispers that we will not be alone because he goes before us there. And yet, standing on the edge with the rawness of pain and the whisper of the invitation, we can feel the same trepidation that the women feel here in this story. The story ends with a profound question. What will we do with this trepidation? What will we do in the face of the risk? What will we do at the prospect of going back to the beginning again? Will we trust the spiral? Will we trust this holy cycle of evolution, of living, of suffering, of dying, and of rising? What suffering do you bring to this invitation? What kind of death have you known this year? How does it feel to hear the invitation of a new beginning? Can you muster the courage to take that journey with a sense of trust that Jesus does indeed go ahead of you to meet you wherever that may be? The messenger is explicit here. Tell the disciples and tell Peter. Right, the disciples fled. The disciples suffered. But Peter denied. The icon of commitment and loyalty was marred in a moment of panic and dread. The disciples and Peter, they experienced firsthand the collective scapegoating machine, the violent crowd dynamics that possess us. They participated in it themselves. The disciples especially peter has every reason to avoid wherever jesus might be and we're left to ask will they travel back will peter travel back to the beginning mark doesn't care really to tell us in this story because he wants us to wonder he wants us to consider what the invitation must feel like in the face of fear the shame and the bewilderment mark is inviting us not to passively or casually take in the story as a mere bystander, he wants us to participate. He wants us to consider our own lives. He wants us to consider if we'll have the courage and the trust for a new beginning where Jesus goes ahead and waits. As you've lived in this season and as you've experienced your own sufferings and your own deaths, will you flee or will you follow? We wonder what the, that of the disciples, and we're encouraged to wonder that about ourselves. But the tomb is empty. The surge of a promising invitation rings in our ears, and my dear friends, I hope that you'll take it and make it your own. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene Creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text Good Shepherd NY, all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's Good Shepherd NY to 77977. Or visit our website, GoodShepherdNewYork.com. Thank you for listening.